0: what is going on everybody hopefully you guys are all doing well out there very excited to be here with you i'm always excited but today i'm extra excited i've um, got a very entertaining i'm going to try to make this first segment pretty short um, we've got an hour-long interview with a collector i love bringing on collectors like i think you guys know you know <laughs> We, we could talk to a brand manager. We could talk to a marketing guy. We could talk to some guy that is putting out a set or has a product that needs you guys to buy it uh, for them to stay in business. Those aren't the guys. You know what those guys are going to say. They say the same thing like every time, oh, this product is great or this – you know, and they come out with 30 products a year. And, and you, you guys know they're not all great. Um, but when you bring on a collector – and I don't want to give away too much of our interview, but bring on a collector that collector that used to collect when he was young, took a break and got back into it. And those are the people I love. He went to the Tristar show um, uh, just a couple, about a month ago, uh, that I attended as well. And so we talk about that. We talk about just kind of we talk about TTM autographs. We talk about tops. Talk a lot about baseball. Uh, talk a lot about um, you know getting what you as a collector. Can get out of the hobby. And I also know that we have a lot of collectors. I get a lot of emails. I probably get an email almost every week of somebody that says, Hey, been, I was out of the hobby for a while. Now I'm back. And there's these autograph cards, and Tops has an exclusive. And, you know, I don't know where to start. And so, uh, you know, listening to today's interview might be a great, uh, Just a great thing for a lot of people out there because a lot of – and a lot of – we might have a lot of younger listeners too to this program that will probably go through the break in in the hobby. I I even went – a little bit. I had a little less of a break um, in the hobby because I worked at a card store and I was always kind of selling stuff online. I was selling even when I wasn't buying cards um, for myself. I was often maybe piecing f- a few of them out uh, um, online or whatever, and I was always selling other stuff. I was like always hustling whatever I could find at a garage sale or you know, tickets and all kinds of stuff online. So I was always kind of in the card game, but I, I, I too took a break and took a little while off. And so it, it's great. Uh, if, if you out there are thinking about taking a break from the hobby or, or coming back from a break um, it's a good, good interview to listen to as well. It might rejuvenate you and get you back um, focused on what's really important Uh, in the hobby so looking forward to bringing matt on uh in a little bit and uh but before that let's just talk about i have some general things that i want to talk about um as i pull up my show notes i know that makes for great radio here i've got to pull them up uh and my ipad is running extremely slow and cumbersome at the moment Uh, maybe i should uh upgrade to a new model i got a big old crack screen on mine uh these days so that's no good but um I want to talk about the NBA draft, first of all. So we'll talk a little bit about the Not the NBA draft. We'll talk about the lottery. So not even the draft. We'll talk about the lottery. Um, Harrison Barnes, speaking of TTM autographs, Harrison Barnes, he's going to sign autographs for free. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about the Industry Summit being acquired by Beckett really quick. And my boy, my boy, Mark Sapir, former Topps employee and a gentleman that had um, an encounter well, if that's the best word for it, uh, maybe more of an interaction with my brother at the industry summit, I think in 2013, when he was still an employee at Tops, and then like a month, like a couple of weeks later, he quit, or he like left Tops. so, uh, you know... You can connect the dots however you want, but uh, he was trying to get me off on Twitter the other day. I think he was trying to get me to go off or something, so I'll talk about what he asked. An interesting question that he had for me. Let's go to the draft lottery. As you guys know, this happened, and the Cavs got the horseshoe up there, you know what, for the third time in four years. They've ended up with Kyrie Irving. They got Anthony Bennett, who's didn't look like much. Of course, no rookie really in the NBA looked like a whole lot, uh, last year. So when Michael Carter Williams wins the rookie of the year, you know, it's not that great of a rookie class. Um, you know, so who knows? Maybe Anthony Bennett is a bust. Maybe he's a mid-range talent. Maybe he's a role player. Who knows? Um, but they, the, who cares? The Cavs got another number one pick. So, uh, whatever lucky charms, uh, the guy has, uh, it's working. Um, And I I want all Cavalier fans out there and anybody out there that felt sorry for the Cavs uh, when LeBron James took his talents to South Beach. You don't need to feel sorry for this organization anymore. They have three number one picks in four years. Uh, They have an owner who has tons of money and who apparently has been doing okay uh, after the recession with his with his loan business. Uh, So I wouldn't feel sorry for the Cavs. They're doing just fine. Uh, the Bucks number two. I gotta, I gotta quietly say this because I'm, as you guys know, I'm married now, and so I gotta watch uh, some of the things that I might talk about on the show. But the Bucks got the number two pick, and the only thing that I remember about the Bucks is they were supposed to get the, they had the best chance to get the number one pick. They didn't get that. But the owner's daughter was smoking hot. That's the only thing I remember about the Bucks and a lot about the draft lottery. So you might want to, if you did miss a draft lottery, you might want to go flip it on replay just uh, to catch a glimpse of the, the owner's daughter of the Bucks. She was, she was looking pretty good. Uh, so they have the number two pick, and who knows where they, they end up going with that. Um, but certainly they'll, the Bucks need scoring. You know, I don't know who the Cavs will get, and maybe they trade out of that pick, but the Bucks need a score. And so I hope the Bucks go offense at number two because they really need some scoring. The Sixers. Everybody, now is your time to sell Michael Carter Williams cards. And I say that with a fairly high degree of confidence. You know, certainly in, in a couple months. When the NBA starts here, um, maybe I regret um, saying sell your Michael Carter Williams. But here's my reasoning is, number one, he doesn't shoot a very high percentage from the field. So he's not going to be a big 25-point game guy because guys that shoot low percentage need 30 shot. He needs 30 shots to get to 30 points. Um, and it just... Nobody's going to, nobody gets 30 shots unless you're named Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant or LeBron James. Nobody takes, LeBron James rarely takes 30 shots. Uh, so Michael Carter Williams, with, with, with the absence of t- taking a high volume of shots, uh, his scoring is going to come down, his, his production in terms of kind of what really drives card values, which is like scoring and kind of leading the team. I think that's going to take a backseat. Because they have some, I think they have Thaddeus Young, under contrast, he's a pretty solid player on the team. But they have Nerlens Noel, who they, I, I don't think they drafted, I think they traded for last year, uh, in last year's draft, and acquired him. And he's going to play his first season next year. Not really an offensive guy, but certainly he's going to take, you know, probably 8 to 10 shots a game, and will make an impact. Uh, certainly on the defensive end, it sounds like. But they have the number three pick and they have the number 10 pick. So this is a team that's going to add two potential potential starters. Uh, I mean, it could be that they sign a guy or they, they acquire another player, um, at the six or so i don't like michael carter williams uh you know i think you could just sell now because we're gonna have whoever the Cavs pick whoever the bucks pick whoever the lakers and boston pick those guys everybody's gonna be paying attention to these upcoming rookies in the draft lottery so i would maybe sell out of the high end you know the guys that are selling for a lot really just michael carter williams almost everybody from last year from victor oladipo to, uh, phew, man, there's really not that many, there weren't that many guys, uh, last year to collect, um, in terms of, uh, rookies, but there's some guys that certainly are probably underpriced cause nobody, like, I don't even remember the guy's names uh, I follow the NBA, uh, fairly closely. It was just a really down year last year for NBA rookie class. So I think Michael Carter Williams kind of stood out when in other classes, he would have been the third, fourth, fifth in this draft. He certainly, he might not even been in the top 10, um, in terms of a selection, so, I would sell uh high on him with the potential to maybe buy back later, but really he looks like a Tayshon Prince type player to me, a defensive player who, you know, he might get 10 to 15 shots a game and will average 10 to 15 points at the most. Uh you know, who averages 10 to 15 points in the in the in a game points-wise and his cards are worth a ton of money. Nobody. Nobody in the NBA, really. Honestly, think about it. The guys that are worth the most money are the top scorers: Kevin Durant, LeBron James, uh, Carmelo Anthony, uh, Kobe Bryant. Uh, You know that that's it. That's it. And if you don't put up those elite number points, you're you're nothing. You're a role player essentially uh, in terms of collecting value. So, moving on. We've got the Magic, the Jazz, the Boston Lakers go back-to-back picks uh, in the lottery, so that should be interesting. The Sacramento Kings pick uh, towards the end, I think that's number eight. Uh, that should be interesting for them. The Hornets, who are the Bobcats, so now they're the, they were the Hornets and then they were the Bobcats and now they're the Hornets again, um, but the Bobcats, um, who are now the Hornets, uh, I thought I was actually impressed with the Bobcats. They made it to the playoffs uh they put up a fight uh they lost Al Jefferson, who was really really valuable player for them. but I was really impressed one with the coach i don 't know his name, but um compared to who the Bobcat the Bobcats had like the biggest idiot coach ever uh la- the year before last, but this last year um And this, you know, it's playing out. Obviously, we got the the Eastern-Western Conference Finals right now in the NBA. But this last year with the Bobcats, I thought Kemba Walker played really well. I thought they were well-coached. They played defense. Um, This is a team, if they can score a really nice player here at this pick, could really elevate themselves. They really could use uh, some offense, a guy that could shoot, a score-type guy. But um, if they pick up more of a uh, role-player, steals and blocks and and one-on-one defense kind of guy, the Bobcats in the Eastern Conference certainly could... uh, Definitely make a repeat uh, in the playoffs again and maybe win a round or two. So I was really impressed. Bobcats fans have a lot to be excited for, I think. Um, and the Sixers. Sixers fans, too. They had a horrible year last year, but a lot of it was probably tanking um, by the team and the organization. And they got two picks in the top ten and what a lot of people consider is a really deep draft. So, um, you know, coming off a bad year, probably still should be excited if you're a Sixers fan. You should be excited. If you're a Harrison Barnes fan, because uh, I, I don't have it right in front of me, the address and stuff and all the details, but I'll post a link to this just in case you missed this. A lot of you might have heard this um, on the on the grapevine or, you know, in the, the card collecting uh, autograph stratosphere. Some of you might not have heard this, though. Uh, Harrison Barnes, a guard, if you're not familiar for the uh, guard forward for the Golden State Warriors, typically in a reserve role. Um, with their previous coach Mark Jackson, t- typically like a six man off the bench type guy. We'll see with Steve Kerr. We could talk about Steve Kerr and kind of the, the coaching carousel that happened in the NBA or is happening in the NBA. But, uh, you know, who knows how Steve Kerr will use Barnes? You know, how his, you know, Barnes has show, is one of those players that has showed flashes of uh, brilliance or a flash of a guy that could average, you know, maybe 14, 15 points in a game uh, over the course of a season. Certainly shows that he he's somewhat capable if given the opportunity and could stay consistent enough. But what's the most important thing for you is he's signing autographs for free this summer. I I don't know if he was disappointed with how he played this season or disappointed with how the Warriors ended up or if he just... He thinks he's got free time uh, coming up or he gets a lot of requests and he wanted to consolidate. But on his Facebook page, Harrison Barnes posted that he will sign uh, TTM autographs for free. So he'll let you. Um, he has a P.O. box set up. He has specific instructions. He wants you to take a photo of you in front of the card or the item and send that in a, obviously a self-addressed stamped envelope and a handwritten letter. So you got to you got to jump through some hoops a little bit uh, to get Harrison Barnes autographs. But typically you're doing this in as we talk to our our guest Matt here in a little bit, we talk a little bit about you know what you got to go through to get uh, uh, through the mail autographs, and it's not just you know put some cards in an envelope and send them out and have the players send it back to you. You know you want to uh, connect with the guy a little bit, let him know that you're you're a fan. You're not just trying to get his cards and turn around and sell them or uh, you know trade them for your next stick of bubble gum or whatever. So thought that was interesting those of you out there that that are fans of through the mail autographs Harrison Barnes looks like all summer is going to be signing autographs uh in between training and watching TV it sounds like uh so hey Harrison Barnes uh go get him Beckett this came across the wire i think when i was on my honeymoon a week or two ago Beckett acquires the industry summit in las vegas so uh but they retain what's his name um uh, uh, Kevin Isaacson. They, Beckett kind of retained him, I think, almost like in an employee role. I think, you know, I could speculate here. I don't know what's going on. I don't have any inside information. I didn't really even like dig into the story or talk to anybody that might know uh, more about what's going on. And you might have heard through other people, maybe uh, more of what's going on here. But for For sake of entertainment, I'll just be on here speculating whether it's right or wrong. Uh, I think Sen really wanted to turn this into a paycheck. He didn't want to have to um rely on you know running these in running not just the industry summit but any kind of conference or any kind of uh you know event like that where you you know even like a card show or something. It's a lot like probably coming out with like a set of cards, you know. Every year they come out with Tops Allen and Ginter, or the, every year they come out with Tops Heritage, or any Prestige or whatever. And some years it sells really well. Some years it doesn't. Some you, you could still buy some years brand new, uh, you know. Some years it's totally sold out. It's hard to find. Um, it's year to year probably running certainly running a conference some years you might have a bunch of attendees you might have a bunch of sponsors you might have a bunch of distributors show up you might have a bunch of people there uh you know buying booths and you might have a bunch of hobby shops and potential hobby shop owners come to the industry summit that year and then some years like this last year might have been kind of rough He might have had a down year and you had less people there. And maybe you didn't negotiate as good a – maybe it was competitive that week in Las Vegas or those weeks to run a conference. And so you had to pay the Orleans more or you overbooked uh, the the Orleans. You booked too many rooms and not as many people show up. So you lose a little bit of money or you didn't make as much money as you wanted to. I think what Isaacson really – he comes across as a guy that really – he doesn't really care necessarily about the industry. He doesn't really care that much about – he has a couple boys I think – Uh, Inside the industry that he he chums up with, but I don't think he really cares. I think he just wanted to make a little bit of money. And so this is a way he could sell the right. I don't think he probably sold him for very much, but a uh, a Beckett essentially acquires the the right to kind of brand or kind of control the industry summit or kind of bring that under the Beckett umbrella and but still retain Isaacson which I don't think was a very good idea. I think there was people at Beckett that could have, you know, done whatever Kevin Isaacson did. I mean, it's it's four phone calls to the Orleans guys and and that's about it and and making sure your deposit is on time. You know, everybody else is either going to come or they're not. Um so I I think I, I don't know. Again, the industry summit, I, I might I might ragtag on it a little bit out there, uh, you know, on this show and in and, and wherever I go. But my opinion has never wavered about that event. If you're trying to make money in this business, if you're trying to make connections, if you're trying to sell something, if you're trying to just go there to see what's going on, just go. Don't get on Twitter and say anything that'll make people sensitive people uh, even more sensitive about what you're saying. Don't, don't say anything bad on a blog. Don't say anything bad on a podcast. Keep your mouth shut and show up in Vegas and you'll be able to show up every year and nobody will care about you and you can go and it'll be, it'll be, they'll take your money and you get your black box and whatever else. And that's it. And you, you know, you'll see a lot of people struggling. You know, that's the one thing I always remembered about the industry summit is I went there and I saw and heard a lot of people were struggling and were not making a lot of money. I would take a taxi over to the Aria. I would take a taxi to the wind, I would take a taxi to the Palms or Caesars or one of those slightly nicer properties in Vegas. I mean, Vegas is not full of five diamond resorts, but everybody was staying at the Orleans. I was like, man, these guys must not be doing very well. At the end of the day, I'm, I'm leaving the Orleans. All these guys are staying. So people don't, don't do that well there, but it's your, it's, if you're trying to open a card shop, you should go. If you're trying to get in touch with distributors or people that supply product and things like that, you should certainly go. You can talk to, you know, don't go if you want to talk to just tops and especially tops, they're there, they're there and they leave as fast as they can, you know, they, they're in there and out, you know, private equity has them on a budget. Uh, Panini hangs around a little bit more and leaf and some of those guys, if they're invited, uh, hang out a little bit more and you, you, you know, face to face time a little bit more with them, but you can get on Twitter and, and go back and forth with, with a, a card company. But certainly if you're trying to get in with distributors and things like that, go to the industry summit, go next year, go the following year, save up your money or whatever it is and go. I, I strongly, cons- I strongly encourage you to go, um, but just know it is a kind of a butt kissers boy club kind of summit and they want to keep it that way because nobody's making any money. You know it's like a boys club but nobody makes any money. Nobody's like balling it out. So they got, they got to protect their space there at the industry summit. So be prepared for that. Moving right along. Mark Sapir, my boy, if you guys don't remember, I've never talked to this guy on the phone. I've never talked to this guy in person. I've only had like spats with him on Twitter. I think spats is probably the best way to put it. And I like that. I like Mark Shapiro. I hate the people in the hobby. There's people in this hobby that are like zombies. That are They'll just promote every set that comes out that's put in front of them. They'll just never say anything that's even close to being close to reality you know they'll they'll give us a, a, every set that comes out they'll say oh you know it's not that bad hey it's got this in it and it's got this they won't ever say anything uh you know challenging or anything that's on the borderline probably because they're scared they're scared for their job or they're they're just happy to be getting paid three cents a word or whatever it is uh wherever they're working um you know what i mean so a lot of people in this business are just happy to have the the kind of position that they might have so they're not going to go back and forth but i do appreciate mark because before he left tops and certainly after he's left uh his post at tops this guy likes to get likes to go back and forth, not just with me, but with other people in the hobby. And so I, I actually like the guy. You know, I know my brother and him kind of had a tenuous little encounter at the Industry Summit last year. Um, but, you know, I kind of like him. I kind of like it. And one day I was in bed, or I don't know what I was doing. I was just kind of moseying through the day. And Mark's asking me all these questions on Twitter. I think he's trying to, like, fire me up. He's trying to, like, get me going. And it's just not, you know, it's like... I was like a car out of gas at the moment, you know. I, you know, you, you could have just turned the key and pushed, you know, pumped the gas pedal. I just wasn't gonna get going that day, and certainly I feel like that ninety percent of the time. I feel like that, but ten percent of the time I do get fired up about this hobby. And but Mark did ask me a really good question. He asked me which card company would I buy if I had to buy equity or invest my money in, into a company in this industry. And which one would I sell if I was able to sell it short, or, or you know, take uh, put do some uh, put options on uh, like uh, Panini or Tops or whatever, sell them short. Which companies would I do? And I thought that was actually a, an interesting question. You know the the way if I had more time, if I could and now I'm taking the liberty on my podcast to answer this question, but on Twitter with such little characters and such little time. Uh I wasn't able to answer this question. So I you know, I don't know if Mark listens. I don't think he probably does. Um but if he does, I'll answer his question here and for the benefit of you out there uh in the listening public. So which company would I buy? Tops, Upper Deck, Panini? Uh, honestly, you it, you could put a gun to my head I wouldn't invest in any single one of them. I'd rather invest in the companies they contract with, the the cardboard companies and and uh you know, some of the manufacturing uh the places that actually do the manufacturing. I might invest in them. Um but the reason why I wouldn't invest in Tops and Panini specifically, maybe upper deck only because it's slightly distressed, but I think there's a lot of value there. If I had more privy onto what is Michael Jordan's contract? What's the language in there? What's LeBron James language? Uh, You know, Tiger Woods' language in his contract. Obviously it's pretty locked down pretty tight because those guys haven't left Upper Deck since they, you know, kind of broke into the league. Uh, certainly LeBron and Tiger Woods haven't left Upper Deck in, you know, through thick or thin. So what's holding those athletes there? I think there could be an investment opportunity in Upper Deck. But throw that out the window. I don't like paying Every dollar. Say I had a million dollars. Let's just fantasize. Even myself, I'll fantasize at the moment and imagine I had a million dollars of investable income that I just wanted to invest in a card company, and that would be rather insane. But let's say I wanted to do that. The reason why I wouldn't invest, in, I wouldn't invest in Tops or Panini, is mainly because, like. Twenty percent of the money. If I loan, if I invested a million dollars, really, I'm only uh, investing maybe like six or seven hundred thousand dollars because the NFL is going to take a cut more than you know. Not not technically, but for every dollar I invest in the company, every dollar in sales they generate off that, it twenty percent goes to the MLB, goes to the players, goes to memorabilia, goes to autographs, goes to employees, goes to overhead, goes to corporate BS. And I really don't want to invest my money in that. And we talk with our interview guests on today's program, Matt, we talk how uh, the Tops doesn't have a CEO. They don't have a leader. I'm not going to invest, you know, 90% of the time, 99% 99% of the time, I'm investing in boring funds with low expense ratios and just kind of index funds, vanilla cut type funds that, you know, no sexiness, no real, uh, you know, not levered or, you know, it's just not a, it a relatively boring investment for most people. I find it exciting, but I sometimes I often take steps out and I'll buy individual stocks and I'll buy, you know, uh random stocks here here and there, but honestly, I, I'm it's few and far between. So, but when I do, when I do find a stock that I want to invest in, rare it's a little bit about the company. It's a little bit about the product they sell, but it's often about leadership. It's often about who is the CEO. What's his attitude? Look at Amazon guys. Amazon hasn't made money in a decade and a half, at least 15 years. Amazon has never made money, never, ever. But look what the CEO's done. He's certainly gotten rich and he's gotten a lot of it. If you, you know, invested in the early days of Amazon, you've gotten rich too, along with him. So, I mean, maybe he's pulling, maybe he's really good at pulling the wool over the eyes of investors, but he's certainly done it really well for the last 15 years. And he seems to, you know, Amazon is like this, is this like enigma you know it's 15 we're going on 15 years of you know proof of concept uh you know and they're still oh we're still growing we're still a a growing tech company ah that that's some leadership right there that's some uh, wall street uh, shenanigans that you know I certainly wish I would have had you know some amazon stock way back in the day um so you're often investing in leaders and tops doesn't have a leader so I certainly wouldn't invest in that i probably Honestly, I'd probably inv- – if I had to invest money, if somebody had a gun to my head and was like, you have to put this money into the, the card business, I'd probably go with one of these unlicensed guys. More than likely, I'd go with like Leaf because re- he is – at least puts a – face. some of these guys – some of these like heroes in sports and a lot of these other ones seem like kind of pump and dump operations. Like they'll they'll give a box to – They'll give a box to a group breaker or they'll do a ten box case break with a group breaker alive, or they'll you know, they'll do a YouTube video and they'll pull a Babe Ruth Cut or they'll pull all these amazing cards and then they expect you as the consumer to kinda they'll get you on the back end, kinda buying it after they kinda pump you up and pump pump it up in the press, uh, so to speak. I don't like those kind of operations, but um you know, some of this repackaged stuff, you know, there's better profit margins there and there's you know probably easier to deal with less uh less license less corporate bs so if i had to put my money down i'd probably put it into some unlicensed thing or honestly it it, it wouldn't cost much to start your own card company i mean yeah if you want to become as big as um you know tops or certainly panini who's kind of a, a global kind of brand they have a lot of other companies that are you know feeding into the balance sheet but if you wanted to come out with three four or five sets a year Honestly, it wouldn't take that much money. So I'd probably just start my own brand. Uh, the the more interesting question is probably who I would sell short, or what company would I, you know, anticipate if I invested my money into them now would be worth less in three to five years. Certainly not something you want to do as an investor. Um I'd probably just where Panini is, I'd probably just sell them short. I just see that they've invested a lot of money in this card stuff, and I just don't see them really I I just see them burning a lot of money. I see you know, yeah, it's it's beneficial to you as a collector. It's beneficial to certain, you know, maybe hobby shop owners or people inside the industry. It might benefit you a little bit. Um, but Panini's just missing the mark with a lot of their products. A lot of their products are priced, um, extremely high and have, you know, really, really high price points. So I'm not a big fan of that. We, we also talked to uh, talk about that, uh, with our guest on today's show about these price points, you know, where we're at in this industry where it's 200 bucks, 300 bucks, 400 bucks. And sure that can go on for a while. You can get the gamblers to spend their money uh, on those kind of products. But after a while, the money, you know, the money gets raked out of the hobby. It gets put into the NFL, the owner's pockets. It gets put into the player's pockets, um, probably deservingly. It uh, gets put into agent's pockets. It gets put into UPS and FedEx. It gets put into distributor's pockets. It gets put in, you know, Panini and Tops make a little bit of money probably um, at certain times of the year as well. Um, so they got to get their money at some point people that are spending 2 3 4 dollars 500 uh, on hobby boxes they're going to run out of money or they're going to run out of a desire to spend that kind of money month after month, week after week. So you either got to replace them with a new sucker, which isn't happening I don't think uh, at a breakneck speed, or those guys end up running out of money. Like I said, their their money kind of just gets, you know, yeah, they they hit a card and they sell it and they buy more product, but the odds are just not in their favor and after a while they they end up running out of money. So I don't think Panini's strategy is good enough. They have a lot of $100, $120, $150, $175, $250 products. They don't have a lot of $60 products. Whereas if you think of tops, tops chrome, not that expensive. Bowman, Bowman chrome, really not that expensive. Regular tops, not that expensive of a product. Tops heritage, tops archives, tops gypsy queen, tops whatever, tops opening day, tops. Uh, whatever, go down the line. There's a lot of sets that Topps makes that are in that $75 range, so $60 to $100 range, much more comfortable, Uh, you know, kind of uh, box. Whereas Panini comes out with $150, $200 box every other week. So I don't think their strategy is right. I think that, you know, they're going to have to change their strategy at some point to end up competing. But we'll see. We'll see. That is about all I have for this very first segment. This is going to be an extra long show. I hope you guys enjoy it. When we come back, we're going to be going right into our interview. Um, I like hit the record button and we just we just got going with matt um a collector who like I said was collecting early on took a break like a lot of us we got to, we get to high school we get to you know college we get a job we get a wife or we get interested in women or cars and we kind of put cards on the back burner but he's back and he's collecting again and so we'll have his story for you right after you know, Matt, talk to us a little bit about, um, you know, getting back. It sounds like you were in the hobby maybe as a young man, and and it seems like you maybe took a break from the hobby or collecting cards, and now you're back into it. Talk to us a little bit about, let, let's start all the way back in the beginning. It sounds like you collected cards when you were younger. Talk to us a little bit about that and, and the kind of stuff that you used to do when you were younger.
1: Well, it's kind of funny. In, in retrospect, um, as a kid of the 80s and 90s, uh, my collecting kind of followed the cliched, you know, rise and fall of the hobby itself. Um, when I was a, a little kid, like, you know, five, six, I have an older brother who's 16 years older than me. And the easiest way to gain points with your kid brother is to bring him baseball cards. So, you yeah, my first memories are, of, you know, 86 and 87 tops. And uh, and watching the Reds and, and Pete Rose, and uh, you know going to shows. My mom would take me to shows and stuff like that. And and uh, there was a place in my hometown called Dave's Dugout. Um, so here's a here's a double eighties um, nineties cliche for you. It was in the back room of a video store.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: so my first card shop was in the back room of a mom-and-pop VHS rental store.
0: Very cool. Neither of which are around... You know, there's not many card shops around. There's probably even less video stores um, these days. So that that must have been...
1: Yeah, I feel like I'm going to have to wire diagram it for my son someday.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, you'll definitely have to... uh you know, he might have to get on the Internet or get on his cell phone to learn about uh, video stores and maybe card stores <laughs> as well. Talk about... Um, were you buying most of your cards at that card store or were you
1: you know how were you acquiring your cards oh yeah definitely most of well the ones that my brother didn't just gift me Um, (laughs) most of them were from that store and as Dave went went from being a dugout to an actual store um, I followed him you know in that town and he would have been he had been an acquaintance of the family for a couple decades previously and uh, my first packs that I can remember buying in the dugout were those, remember the uh, the Legends of Baseball cards? Yes. They had like, yeah, they had like gray borders and you know, right. you'd get, you know, random, uh, you know, questionable legends, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> right. old timers. And then uh, the first real set I remember buying was at a, at a Shell gas station. I would go every week and buy 90 upper deck okay you know that is a whole dollar for foil packs okay. <laughs> and i would buy 90 or 91 upper deck i think it was and uh just from there my mom would take me to shows or my brother would take me to shows and probably the you know and then going up into high school you know i was kind of into it and collecting and and more into the team sets you know i was into the reds and then i followed the yankees a bit and um and then, uh, the last real search I can remember pre-internet, um, was I would go to all the shows looking for Thurman Munson cards, and the, that was the last real time pre-internet that I can remember looking for something at the show in particular that you couldn't find anything, anywhere else, and that was a Thurman Munson
0: rookie card, which now I can go on eBay and, you know, pick at them. Right, so. you, you have a large selection now, um...
1: Yeah, so then, the, you know, then the, the industry crashed, and that just kind of coincided. I didn't crash with the industry. It just kind of coincided with, you know, I was a high school kid getting ready to go to college, had a lot of things going on, and, you know, you just, you know, you kind of fall away from it. So that was kind of my start in the hobby and how I kind of drifted away as you're interested in, you know, uh, your car, and girls, and
0: work, and, and college at that time. Right, yeah, being, you know, 18, 19, 20 years old, the, those kind of things tend to overshadow uh, baseball cards and things like that. But, it te- you know, uh, as you get older, you get a little more nostalgic, and, and you you might miss some of the things. So it sounds like you've gotten the collecting bug has bitten you again. Talk to us about when you kind of gotten, like, what got you back into the hobby?
1: Well, I think, uh, on the periphery, I, I had kind of, uh, you know, just kind of followed here and there, you know, unfortunately your only local card store a lot of times is Target. Right. And, uh, you know, occasionally I pick up a pack just to see, you know, what they were like these days. And, and, uh, you know, I thought, uh, uh, the Heritage sets were cool and, uh, Topps Heritage and, uh... Well, occasionally, occasionally just pick up a pack, you know, once every 6 months or so just to to take a look at them and and then uh um, so really it was uh just a gradual getting back into it and I had my my little boy who's now 18 months old and uh his first one, his first or second word was baseball and <laughs> nice. he he shouts he shouts it as much as he can. He's actually watching Reds Cardinals right now. Oh, so he he is a energizer bunny, but he will sit on your lap and watch baseball all day and And that kid loves the game. so it's some it, it, and my wife is a diehard member of Tribe Nation. she's a Cleveland girl. okay. So being a baseball family it just has kind of become a natural outgrowth of something that I can maybe do with him.
0: Excellent, excellent. so you you talked about you know tops heritage and and you know, Talk to us, you know, you you went from collecting kind of legends and 1990 Upper Deck all the way into the new era of cards. Talk to us about um, maybe that discovery process. You took many years off from collecting, and now you came back and there's autographs. There's serial numbered cards. There's 25 different sets a year now. Uh, There's all these different kind of parallel cards. There's just a lot going on in the hobby. Talk to us about kind of your your like entry back into the hobby and maybe discovering all this well it's
1: kind of like it's you know it's kind of like going back to your hometown and half of main street is closed up <laughs> it was right. it was it was weird in that you know i didn't know that tops was exclusive with mlb you know i didn't hear about that um I, what do you mean there's no such thing as don Ross. <laughs> or, you know, right. or, or upper deck only you know has unlicensed cards and yeah and and this sticker company is the only other real you know because you need a sticker company right. so you're like well this sticker company is the only people have cards but their cards where their helmets are cut off at the top or something like that and and so uh and as far as the um, Uh, And so it was really weird coming back to, you know, it's like coming back to your hometown and most of the stores are closed up and all you have is tops. But now you have all these different tops brands. And, uh, you know, what kind of tops do you like to collect and what are the inserts and all that? And I was, I've been very shocked coming back in that the player themselves, the players themselves don't matter as much. As the perception of worth of the card it is, it is odd to me coming back after 15, 18 years, where you used to get super stoked if you pulled a Don Mattingly, just a base Don Mattingly, because all it was was base. If you pulled it base Don Mattingly, that was like your day. And and now it's like, well, this one's numbered to 400, so I'm not as stoked as <laughs> you know. This one that you know is only numbered to fifty, which is you know still only worth five bucks. So it's 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 just odd to me that uh, people will jump over themselves and pay hundreds of dollars for some sort of super factor, orange wave, you know, whatever of some dude they've never heard of, and you know their tears going into the trade pile.
0: yeah exactly exactly how shocked me the most what have you what have you so it sounds like you haven't gotten caught up in kind of the big the big hunt for the the big hits the one-on-ones and type cards what have you focused on now that you're back in the hobby what what particular cards um are you set building are you player hunting what what are you kind of focusing on well it's
1: been kind of interesting because um as I mentioned in, your, in my email to you, it's kind of been a, a year long, not to make this sound deep, uh, journey of self-discovery uh, and coming to terms with collecting for yourself. And, you know, well, what is it that I want? Uh, you know, I can go online and I can look at almost any card I want, but what is it that I really want for myself in my private collection, or my personal collection? And, uh, and I, I, you know, at first I thought it was just autographs, but then you're like, hey, I don't really sticker autographs, and um, so what's really um, turned me on to the hobby more has been TTM through the mail autographs. Okay. Um, I, I enjoy that probably the most in the hobby, even though it's an outgrowth of the hobby quotation marks. Right. Uh, and as far as actual things that come in wax, um, I I think I'm more focused on on teams that mean something to me such as the Reds and the Indians, because I'm forced by my wife to watch almost every Indian regular season game, and, and when I can finally catch the Reds, um, and then being out here in California now, I really enjoy taking my son to OCO and watching the A's, so I've really gotten to know those players uh, the past year or so. And so really I've been focusing on, you know, Reds, Indians, and weirdly enough, A's. Um, and then... Uh, just recently at TriStar San Francisco, I, I picked up my first Outer uh, T205 and T206. So I think uh, I'm going to be focusing on, you know, uh, you know, cards that mean something to me personally through those three team associations and um, something which is important to me is the history of the game in that T205, T206 sets, you know, and, and probably getting into tobacco cards.
0: Very cool. You gave me a lot of uh, points I want to touch on there. Let's talk uh, quickly about TTM autographs. Um, Talk to us about, you know, how you're finding, you know, like I I think the TTM autograph is a lot about success rate. I mean, you don't necessarily want to fire off 20 or 30 envelopes of cards and and self-adjusted stamped envelopes. Without getting anything yeah. back, how do you go about maybe doing a little bit of research in terms of, uh, you know, making sure you're sending off cards to guys that might sign for you?
1: Well, I, I I used to subscribe to you know things like Star Tiger when I when I first started doing TTM. I used to write to you know uh, maybe film and television uh, personalities,
0: okay, and
1: then uh, doing it with cards. I don't I don't really need Star Tiger or anything else to tell me a lot of uh, success rate because I don't write to Derek Cheater. I don't write to Albert Pujols or guys who probably get hundreds of, of pieces of mail a, a day, if not you know, a week, a week, if not a day. Um, so I, you know, I get really excited that, you know, Jed Lowry, you know, former Red Sox, former Astros and LPAs, he sent us, you know, he signed one of my cards and sent it back or, you know, uh, a oldest Chapman when he, uh, when he had this horrible accident in spring training, you know, sometime during the time he was on the DL, he signed the card. I had sent him previous to the accident and sent it back to me. So, you know, I, I don't send it to those transcendent, those transcendent players or like the Mike Trouts. I send it to the players that mean something to me, the prospects who may not, you know, it may be their first ever fan mail. Um, out in the minor leagues, uh, th- uh, people like that, you know, people who, who probably enjoy a little bit of fan mail and uh, who probably are not inundated with a bunch of uh, people saying, give me, give me, give
0: me. Right. And, and how are you approaching when you're sending something to them? Are you handwriting letters? Are you sending baseball cards? How are you handling kind of the process of sending these guys um, something?
1: Yeah. Well, I, I, I never send more than, I never send more than three cards. I usually only have two. When I send one off, and uh, if I send three, it's always handwritten. It's uh, it's a single side of a small note page, it's not even a full of notebook page. It's a small memo pad, um, and you know, three paragraph format. And uh, uh, basically, I write and say, you know, we, you know, we love baseball. We're a baseball family. We watch almost every night. On MLB.tv TV or MILB TV, right, and uh, and that uh, we uh, and I usually put in a couple lines that are specific to that player, like hey, I'm sure you'll get healthy soon. I hope the Tommy John surgery over over the winter went well, and and we're sure you're going to get called up, or you know something along those lines. And then if I include three cards or so, I always, I always put in a line near the end. Feel free to keep one or two of the cards for yourself, because these guys don't get free product. You know, you're, you're a minor leaguer making, you know, $1,200 a month. You don't get free tops cards. So, you know, keep one for yourself if you want. And I've had a, and, you know, always include a self-addressed stamped envelope. And uh, I've had a pretty good success rate. I've had some, some uh, decent-sized uh, uh, semi-stars and, uh, and uh, also some, some great prospects.
0: Very cool. Very cool. That's something I definitely did um, when I was younger too. I found uh, that was back then that was one of the easiest ways to get their autograph. They didn't come out of the packs and weren't didn't have ex- exclusive autograph deals and stuff like that. So it was it was one of the more um, fun ways to get uh, autographs. Talk to us about. Yeah, it's like yeah, it's like Christmas when you go to your mailbox. Yeah, exactly. Every time you, uh, you know, you never know when it's going to be there. That's what's cool, too. It's like, you know, if you order something from Amazon, you know, it's coming a couple days later. But with the TTMs, it could come a week later, come two weeks later. Sometimes it might come a year later, a year and a half, two years later. Um, You could be surprised just about any day, it seems like. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, Talk to us about, you, you mentioned, you know, collecting for yourself and, you know as i'm coming into a family now and and i might have kids here pretty soon you know I, and when i owned a card shop the story i got is guys wanted to collect cards and pass it down to their kids well the thing i always thought was what if your what if your son doesn't want the cards what if you you know what if it's like it's like these kids on Pawn Stars. I often watch like the Pawn Stars show, and there's people coming in there with, with the dad's heirlooms or grandpa's heirlooms, and they're just taking whatever oh, yeah. they can get for it. Well, talk to us about you know, you know talk talk to us about collecting for yourself, and then maybe passing it down to your child. If your children are interested, maybe they end up with some nice cards. But really, the hobby is is for you.
1: Yeah, I mean, a hobby is not a retirement plan. <laughs> and i think I think it's foolhardy i re- I just I don't get it I think it's foolhardy for for someone to pursue a hobby and their end goal is a profit. but it's no longer a hobby, that's a job right. I, I I work for a living, but I come home, I want to have fun, and the hobby is a hobby to me. <laughs> it's, I'm not sweating I am not sweating about breaking cases. so so collecting for me is you know well who means something to me well I'm a, I'm a real uh, big fan of uh, of um, uh, let's say uh, Julie Votto or my wife really likes the um, oh, heck chisholm Hall has been doing awesome this season yeah. for the Indians so you know yeah they don't have like a lot of Topps Museum collection you know gold bordered black cards with silver signatures but, you know, they've got stuff out there, some nice product, and, you know, it means something to you. So so that's what I collect, something that means something to me. I watch these guys play almost every night on MLB.tv. I can follow them just like the old days. I can follow their stats and their stories through their cards, and and I'm not afraid to hand a card. I'm not afraid to hand a base card to my 18-month-old to play with. Right. <laughs> so, so that's what I mean by collecting for you. Don't... Don't think that, you, that as soon as you open a pack of cards you have to put it in a plastic container and, and you know, put it in the box and that's where it's gonna stay for thirty years then you're gonna sell it on eBay. <laughs> um if you get a base card and it's fun, give it to your eighteen months old, and let them flip it around with it. That's what they're for. They're supposed to be fun.
0: Absolutely, supposed to be fun, and um, talk to us about the TriStar Show, you went to that, I went to that, I think it was on a Friday, I'm not sure what day you went, Uh, talk to us about the TriStar Show, was that your first time um, going to that event, and and talk to us a little bit about that. That
1: was my first show in about, like I said, about 15 to 18 years, so it was a little different, but a lot stayed the same. Right. (laughs) I think a lot of those dealers had been there 15 to 18 years ago. Probably. Um, I, uh, but yeah, it's also my first West Coast show. And, uh, I'd never been to a TriStar show. And I went on Saturday, uh, mainly to, uh, uh, I wanted to get a Jenny Finch. Uh, Jenny Finch was one of those, uh, signing. Oh,
0: okay. And I
1: wanted to get a Jenny Finch autographed softball for my niece who is graduating high school this year. And she is a big time, uh, softball player on her varsity team and wants to play in college. Oh, nice. So, yeah, so that was my main motivation of going there, but also to check out the card scene, and and uh, also I wanted to meet Ernie Banks for myself, Mister Cub. So uh, mm. so yeah, um, going around at the TriStar show, I was just I was very impressed that this was not the national, yet they really had a lot of tables and a lot of dealers there, and uh, I was not expecting that many active dealers after hearing all the doom and gloom about the hobby. <laughs> right.
0: Right, there are there are a yeah. lot and there's a wide range. There's a there's, you know, you can find yeah. the old cards and you can find the new cards. Yeah,
1: and that's why, you know, I'm I'm going around and I'm looking to see, you know, well, where are the crowds at? Where what's high? What's going on here? And uh a lot of people were selling, you know, triple threads or they were selling, you know, it was all all autograph or if it was a because it was a game-used relic card and it had to have an autograph on there. You know what I mean? And I was amazed by how you had boxes and boxes for like a dollar each jersey cards. And I'm like, what? This is a game-used card. This is a dollar? You know, like, So for a kid of the 90s, you know, coming back into into this this this, uh, this hometown, I'm like, I can't believe you guys are selling game-used cards for a buck apiece. Right. And and that astounded me. And then I also, you know, I love seeing that, you know, these T205s and T206s, and they even had turkey reds there and whatnot. I was I was amazed that, you know, to now 30-something-year-old Matt, that these were affordable cards that, you know, I could pick up.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and and so are you focusing more, uh, now that you're back in the hobby, I think back back in the 90s, it seemed like, to acquire a lot of the cards, you kind of had to open the packs. There wasn't eBay and there wasn't, you know, you could trade and buy and sell, but it wasn't quite as liquid as it is now. Um, How has that dynamic changed for you? Are you picking up more single cards now, or are you still dabbling in packs and boxes? Well, it's really
1: weird. Uh, I I sound so um, unfocused. Uh, but it's really just uh, you know me feeling things out. And uh, my first real experience with Modern Wax was last year, uh, Blowout Cards had their uh, Black Friday sale,
0: okay.
1: uh, Thanksgiving week. And, you know, that was kind of exciting. You're waiting for the new sale to post up. If anyone doesn't know, uh, <laughs> they have like a real-time yep. sale that pops up every couple minutes. A new box will be on sale. And yep. they've got a ticker that tells you how many they got left. And... Um, and so I bought a couple blasters of like 2012 uh, Picks and Prospects and you know, 2012 Bowman and things like that, and a uh, box of uh, Pro Debut, pro de- and uh, so uh, that's really my first experience with Modern Wax, and that was fun to bust. I mean, there wasn't, you know, a $1,000 card in there, but it was fun to bust, and you know, get these prospects. And to me, it was like, oh, look, I can send these out to Um But then uh, going to TriStar um, and hearing your radio show about, you know, uh, raffles and whatnot. Uh, so I'm going around TriStar and your brother was right. If your brother is going to listen to the show, tell him he was right. I could not believe he had it on the button from the Chicago show uh, or wherever he was at. I couldn't believe all the nurses... That were working their husband or boyfriend's table uh, of of fox and case breakers.
0: <laughs> yeah, they put them to work. I tell you what, these these ladies, they they these guys have gotten extremely fortunate with having ladies there by their side. Um, as you know, the Tristar location isn't glorious, and it's not uh, oh, you know gosh. not by any means. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and, and I talked to I talked to most of them because I was just fascinated after listening to your brother talk. And it's like you hear about this and you're like, Oh no, he's exaggerating, there's no way <laughs> And I always I had to bite my tongue going, You're one of them
0: <laughs> <laughs> de- de- Definitely one of the loyal uh ladies in the hobby that are sticking by sticking by their wow. man.
1: My wife would my wife would oh my gosh, she... She would never put up with that. So, so it was just funny. Uh, but, you know, seeing all you know these guys who obviously break a lot of boxes to have all this prod- new product of autographs and autographed jersey cards, and, you know, I'm going up to them. And even the stuff, like I said, that means something to me, I am surprised how cheap it is because, um, you know, they have all these cards uh, – that are autographed and jerseys and whatnot. And I go up to this guy, and he's got a whole bunch of, of, of the uh, glass casers. And I said, Well, how much do you want for Malone? Malone is a, a pitcher for the A's. Right. And I go, Well, how much do you want for this? Uh, it's a 2014 museum collection. Uh, three game used swatches of his jersey. It was really cool. It had pieces of his actual patches and whatnot, and it had his signature. And How much do you want for that? And he goes, Ten bucks. And I couldn't help myself, and I said, I'll give you eight. And he's like, that's, that's cool. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, this was eight bucks? Are you tell me that if I went down two booths uh, down, and I bought a $50 pack of museum collection, I could possibly get this $8 card? I mean, it was just, the economics of it amazes me at, at what the modern guys, the case breakers or the, or the box breakers, of what they were going after. I mean, I just didn't... The Economics Florida kid, who, from 15 years earlier, you know, just did not have this this atmosphere going on where, you know, well, this isn't as shiny as this is.
0: (laughs) Exactly, or just not as low serial numbered or not prime patches. Talk to us a little bit about that, how...
1: That's the same damn card! The stamp on the back's just a lower
0: number. <laughs> <laughs> right. And they and they come out with, you know, however many of those cards not I mean there's that one set, it might be limited in that, but they come out with twenty sets a year and have that guy's autograph and all that in all those sets. Talk to us about, you know, back in the 90s you know you could have pulled a a one per box insert and it was a rare card could have pulled a one and two or three box insert and it was it was a chase card now like you said three color autograph numbered is an 8 dollar card talk to us about that just if if that's if you're still trying to get over that or or what's your thoughts on there
1: well i'm, I'm thinking you know, I don't feel as if I'm the sucker here. You know, because I lived—I lived in Vegas for over three years, and I was a Vegas veteran before then, and an Indian reservation uh, casino veteran before then. So I've been around the carny circuit, right. <laughs> And so, and, and so, I didn't feel like I was the sucker here. I was—I felt like I felt like um, for probably a thousand bucks a year, if that. I bet you for less than a thousand bucks a year. I could probably go on eBay or on the message forums, and I could probably acquire just about any card that probably would mean something to me. But, you know, you got guys spending thousands of dollars breaking cases and, and whatnot and trying to do this or that, and God love them, they're subsidizing the hobby. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but I didn't feel like I was the sucker who bought the $250 box or whatever it is for a box of museum collection, I was the guy who threw you a bone, so
0: I could get the car I wanted. Exactly. Talk to us about. Um, you mentioned the forums. It sounds like you might do a little bit of trading, or you kind of do some stuff on the forum. Talk to us about get. I mean that that in the nineties wasn't even around. Talk to us about kind of that whole whole thing. You know, getting on forums one on one, kind of uh, trading. Oh,
1: I'm an I'm an epic failure. <laughs> <laughs> I I'm I an epic failure on the forums. Um, so, so I, I break a box of, uh, so I pick up a box at the TriStar show of, uh, 2013, uh, Bowman. Okay. Um, and so Bowman Chrome and I got a magenta rock shoulders. Okay. Just by just by just by his name, I think he's a cool prospect. But you know, if right. he's a prospect, he's probably gonna he's probably gonna make the majors someday if he stays healthy. So rock shoulders, I get a magenta number two twenty five, nice. uh, which means it's a shiny card with a magenta border, and and so I throw it out there with a couple other retractors, and some guy comes back to me, and he says, you know, hey, uh, what do you want for the for just the rock shoulders, you know, magenta? And I say to him, you know, hey, shipping included, um, shipping included 10 bucks. Sorry, I can't do it. I was like, okay. it's numbered to 25, I thought that's what you guys liked. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so I, I came back to him and I said, I'll tell you what, seven bucks, including shipping. Because it cost me like two fifty to pick it up yeah. and go over. And so I'm like, seven bucks, including shipping, I'll send you this card just so I can get a positive rating. Um. <laughs> And the guy never responded back to me. And I'm like, what am I doing wrong here? And so, uh, you know, another guy posts on, on the Vintage, you know, forum or sub-forum. Hey, I'm looking for uh, near-mint Mattingly rookie cards. Uh, pictures, please. And so I post up on his forum. I go, here's pictures. Here's a BGS7 near-mint uh, Mattingly along with a ungraded Opichi, And here is a... I kid you not I saved this from the 80s here's a cello pack <laughs> three pack uh, of the same of the 84 tops of 84 tops you might find one in there too Wow I said you can I said you can have it all for 25 bucks and and the guy never got back to me and I, I'm thinking what what am I not doing here for you fellas <laughs> so it's been, it's so it's been really kind of, I've been striking out on the forums, man. It's not for being a jerk or not for being unfriendly. I say my please and thank yous. It's, mm-hmm. it's just, I'm just not, not have what people want. And then I see what people do get excited over, and it's the, you know, the the Jose Abreu uh, signed super refractor, you know, right. green wave, you know, with the thumbprint and, you know, uh, what have you. <laughs> so... So that's what people get excited about. People don't get excited about uh, you know the mundane stuff that I'm into. I'm not going to pay fifteen thousand dollars for a super shiny card
0: of some rookie. Right? Yeah, fifteen thousand is like I'd rather go to the car dealership uh, and and yeah. shop around there probably at that price. And that's range. what it
1: that's what it reportedly went for. Uh, yeah. One of those uh, repackaging, you know, the card companies that repackage other people's product right. and then sell it at as their own, that's how much they paid for it on eBay. It was fourteen thousand something dollars mm. for the, I think it was the Abreu, you know, Superfractor, out of this year's Bowman. And I'm like, are you guys insane?
0: That's
1: this guy. This might be the summer of Kevin mass or Kevin Moss.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exa- I think he already got hurt. I think Abreu is on the the DL or he's resting. Uh... Resting his ankle, so he's already showing signs of uh, breaking down maybe a little bit, so... Yeah,
1: so don't, don't, you know, don't mortgage your house on a shiny card of a guy. I mean, do you guys not, I mean, they're repeating, they're, it's a cycle, I swear. It's, they're repeating the downfall of the hobby of the late 90s.
0: Just, oh, they I, just mean, can't, just they just I mean, can't help just overinflate. I mean, just exactly. They can't help themselves. It seems like they don't learn from their mistakes. Uh, Steven Strasberg in 2010 sold for like 16000 I think it traded hands several times, um, including like a repackaged guy. I think Leaf bought it originally. Um, it just seems like every couple years, there's a guy people, I mean, Bryce Harper and Mike Trout, people go crazy for. Um, But, as you know, after 15 years in the game, 20 years in the game, very few guys become Derek Jeter or Mariano Rivera.
1: I was thinking about this uh, as I was kind of prepping for our conversation tonight. and, And I think it was you that said, there are so few guys in this hobby that are truly transcendent that I could go to any person in America and I could throw out Derek Jeter's name, and they would come pretty close to identifying him as an oh, he's a baseball player, or he's a Yankee. Right. Uh, they're not going to say that about Mike Trout. Right. Or, you know, maybe, and probably not Bryce Harper. Right. You know, that, that's one dude. That's right. one guy who was a rookie at, like, 95. Right. So, so you were just not going to get those transcendent guys... Even
0: every generation. No, it's, uh, and the thing is, is the guy like Cal Ripken Jr. and even Barry Bonds and uh, Hank Aaron and and guys of the yesteryear. That it's like their legend grows, and so it's even harder for Mike Trout or Yasiel Puig or those Jose Abreu to now become a legend because we've already got Babe Ruth, we got Mickey Mantle, we got Ted Williams, we got Pete Rose, we got all these guys that did all these great things. The the ladder to climb. Yeah,
1: Bo Jackson's now in demigod status. (laughs) Right. And Bo Bo
0: was incredible. Yeah,
1: yeah. So, uh, can I ask, what did you think of? What do you think of the San Francisco TriStar show? You're you're a, a local.
0: What do you think of it? You know, I've been. Uh, this is probably my third or fourth time going. I think in the last three or four years. Um, I just have fun going around and trying to get single cards. I mean, that's really what I try to do. I try. I look at some of the oddball stuff. Some of the oddball stuff is. is is maybe a little overpriced or it's just not my thing, but I just love going around and looking at everybody's cards. And, and like you said, there were boxes and boxes of three to $5 game used cards. And some of them were pretty, were pretty good deals at that price. Um, yeah. I just love seeing the atmosphere. I love seeing uh, the, the dealers are very similar from year to year. I see the same guys almost in the same location. Usually, uh, the same guys, same booth, same cards almost in some cases. Um, I just think it's kind of interesting. It's an interesting hobby. And you got the whole dynamic with a show where you've got you got the dealers who are trying to sell their cards and make money on their booth. But there's a lot of people that come there to get Joe Montana to sign, to get uh, you know one of the yeah, athletes I wasn't, to sign. I wasn't,
1: there for, I wasn't there for any of the Niners or Giants, so I didn't know how busy that got.
0: Um I wasn't there I was there on Friday I think they only had like a freebie going but last year the year before I was there I think on one of the weekends like on a Saturday afternoon when there were I think Cal Ripken might have been there one year when I was there I caught glimpses of of athletes when I was there in the past, and it gets quite busy, and guys will come in. I think that's what a lot of people will come there. They'll pay their price of admission, walk by all the cards, and walk by everything, because they have a helmet, or they have a baseball bat, or they have a jersey, or they have a picture that they have of the guy. Um, A more personal item that they want signed. I, I see... I see passionate fans, and I often see them, they're decked out in Niner gear, and they are, they're decked out in Oakland A's gear. And Those are like the die-art fans that uh, the hobby certainly needs and certainly needs to try to keep in the hobby. So I always have, and as you know, well, you just moved out here to the West Coast, but really this TriStar show is about it. I mean, there might be one, uh, one other, two other chances in the year to kind of in the Northern California region – to really attend one of these shows. So I really try to take advantage of it and have fun with it, I guess, you know, like you said, I don't take it too seriously. I don't, you know, I'm not there spending tons of money. Um, but it's, it's fun for me, you know?
1: Yeah. And it's fun to be, it, to me, it was fun to be kind of back in that community a little bit. Cause, uh, you know, it reminds you of when you're a kid and the only thing I wish they would do, you know, um, is like other, you know, fan conventions of other things, is that I wish that their guests, I wish they could program that somehow, that their guests could do some sort of, uh, some sort of Q&A, or some sort of panel, or some sort of presentation, you know, instead of, yeah, I, I had a really good conversation, you know, for, you know, less than five minutes with, you know, Jenny Finch and Ernie Banks, but it'd be cool if, you know, there was some sort of, like, auditorium seating, and you could hear them tell old stories of, of, uh, you know, playing for the Cubs. I just think that would be that'd be a really cool way to expand the show.
0: That's actually a really good. I, I mean, a lot of these people get paid for public speaking, or they go into public speaking, or being an athlete, you certainly are good at speaking to the public oftentimes. And I, that's actually a really good... If I was like an athlete's agent, I would have that as like a tack-on. Okay, I'll get them to go sign autographs for $40 per, but... You know, let's do this uh, public speaking engagement afterwards, where we invite you know 150, 200 people in there, and we do kind of a question and answer. You know, like you said, just some storytelling. I think that that's actually a pretty darn good idea. Can I, I
1: tell you what? Ernie Banks, that guy likes to talk. <laughs> like, I felt I felt bad talking to him that much because he kept asking me questions. Because <laughs> you got guys behind you in line, and, that, and he just wants to talk. So and he's eighty-three years old. You're not gonna have any problem booking Ernie Banks
0: to talk to you. Yeah, that, I mean that—that's worth whatever you had to pay. I mean, that's what's so cool about the show. I mean, one thing about TTM autographs—it's one thing to pull, spend a hundred dollars on a box and pull a couple autographs, but to be able to like be right there and have kind of a personal moment with the guy—that's something that you—if you lose the autograph or you sell the autograph. You know, you're never gonna forget sitting right there, yeah, getting yeah. that.
1: Yeah, and I had him sign my ball, uh, uh, Medal of Freedom, Ernie Banks, because he just he just uh, received the Medal of Freedom from the president last year. Okay. I mean, so but he wanted to talk about, you know, he to talk about that a little bit. You know, it's something different for him to talk about. It, it's a different inscription than what everybody else asks him for. So, uh, but yeah, we had a great a great little conversation with him and. You know, you never know when you have that chance again. And and so, but I was heartened uh, by uh, a few young families all wearing their Giants gear, um, you know, waiting for the Giants players to show up. So that made me feel better that at least they're exposed in the same room to the hobby. Right. Right, exactly. Maybe through osmosis, they'll
0: catch the bug. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, talk to us. You know, I got another question for you. You know, you 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 were in the hobby when you were a young man, took a break, and now you're back. Do you regret leaving the hobby for that long, or was it? Is it something that you you look back on? You don't regret. You're glad that it happened. Like, talk to us about that. Huh.
1: well, you know, it's kind of it's probably. It's probably, like, it's probably like needing to take a break in a relationship. <laughs> we were on a break. Um, right. so That's why I write comic books. We were on a break. Right. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think it's kind of like that. And, you know, um, to really enjoy something, I think you have to have a, a little bit of distance from it. And I think you have to have a little bit of perspective. Um, and my perspective now is... You know, I don't have to collect everything that comes out. Just because Topps makes it doesn't mean I have to buy it. Um, My wife would kill me as far as Mm -hmm. closet space, because a closet soon becomes a warehouse. Um, But just because it's made doesn't mean you have to. You don't have to own every Topps card. You don't have to own every Reds card. You can pick a couple players that mean something to you, or you can pick an era that means something to you. I'm pretty stoked about Topps Archives coming out with these major league uh, insert cards. Um, they're probably going to go for an arm and a leg, but you know what? Seeing how I watched the market the last couple of years, maybe next year I'll pick up 50 percent of the market value. Right. So, so you know, there's there's those sorts of things. Uh, you you recognize, I think, with perspective what means something to you. And I know that sounds kind of gushy and philosophical, but you know, now you know this is the same the same
0: uh sport that had field of dreams so that's cushy and philosophical <laughs> right yeah and a darn good movie um at that you know tots archives is coming out do you focus on um do you focus on those nostalgic set you said you like heritage and and archives is coming out or you know are you kind of a fan of you know different whatever kind of meets your eye yeah i i like
1: i'm a design guy i like you know, if he's got a cool design and it's accessible, you know, I am not the guy that you're going to sell. Even would I could probably afford it, I am not the guy that you're going to sell the $250 box of cards to. I'm just not. I'm not your market for it because I'm just going to pick off, you know, the guy who did buy that box. I'm just going to pick off the ones I want from him when he's desperate to make back half his money. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I'm that guy. Um, so... Just things that you know. If I think it's got a good design, and I think that you know guys that I care about are in that checklist. You know, that's that's what I'll pick up. Um, but I have to really be into it to buy. I think now a box or two, and that's like your pro debut and your your heritage minors and things of that nature because I like the TTM aspect and, and I like those and I like those prospects.
0: Are you selling any cards? You know, um are you selling any cards online? Is are you replenishing your uh hobby budget that way or are you are you strictly holding on to everything that you get?
1: Well, I'm failing at trading. Yeah, failing at <laughs> selling <and> <laughs> on forums. So I, I you know, I might throw a couple up on, on ebay and and see what I can get for 'em, you know, a buck here, a buck there. But you know, I've I've got a full time job, but you know, more than full time job that keeps me pretty occupied. And you know, I don't rely upon uh, upon selling my my I guess industrial waste uh, <laughs> <laughs> in order to subsidize my hobby right. because it, it's just a hobby. But um, and that's what I go into it for. And if it's a base card that I'm not going to use for anything else, well, I'll give it to a little guy to play with because he likes playing with them. Um, so yeah, I'll probably. I'll probably, you know, stick my toe into eBay here in the next couple of weeks and and see about, you know, selling some raw cars. But I am not the type of guy who's gonna, you know, overnight buy a uh, a PSA or or Beckett grading membership and send off, you know, Bowman Chrome to be graded. I'm just not that guy.
0: Yeah, that I was, those guys
1: are out there because they
0: subsidize me. I guess exactly. I mean, this, oftentimes I was at the San Francisco show. I was buying two dollar graded cards, and it was Brett Favre's and Joe Montana's and Michael Jordan's. And I was like, "This is great because the just to get it graded costs a heck of a lot more than two bucks." Um, yeah, isn't it weird? It
1: is, it is bizarre to me <laughs> that, that these cards. That, you know, maybe you know you and I are just the kind of guys who you know we care more about the gamer players than we do about you know, the prospectus of the portfolio.
0: Right, and, uh, you know, what I always find is it seems like in cards, there's, it seems like guys are always, there's always like a liquidator. There's always like a a Walmart or a Costco of a certain card. A guy willing to take just rock bottom prices. Um, You know, certainly not for like Jose Abreu and some of the really red hot guys right at the moment, but, You know, for almost anybody of yesteryear, you can get on eBay or get on just about anywhere and find it for a discount or for a pretty darn good price. Uh, And so I think just having some patience and, uh, you know, like you said, don't get caught up. If the guy's hot this year or he just threw four touchdowns in a game or whatever, might not be the best time to buy his cards. But a year later, when nobody cares about him anymore or that there's four other guys that people care about. That might be the time to uh, spend a little bit of money on the guy's cards.
1: Well, well gambling addiction is sad, and and, right. and having lived in Vegas, yeah. um, I I I played. I I would occasionally enter um, the the poker tournaments that you know most casinos if people have been out there. Most casinos in Vegas will have some sort of a scheduled poker tournament you all pay in a certain amount and depending upon the number of players that's how much you're gonna the tier winnings at the end, you know, first, second and a third. Right. Well, there's also the money game that's like a rolling twenty four hour seven game going off to the side. And that is where the big money is. Right. And I I've only done it once and I lasted like twenty minutes And I never had a more horrible time gambling in my life because you were, you were gambling against people who they, they were there with the single purpose of paying their mortgage. And so they, they had a dead look in their eyes. They, they didn't enjoy what they were doing. They were basically, it was the same look as if they were mopping the floor for a living or, or, or doing whatever for a living. They were there to take your money because that was their job and they were going to use that to pay the mortgage or get their wife off their back, or what have you. I saw guys at the TriStar show buying armloads of of boxes of wax that were the same look. And I'm like, are you even a fan? You don't even look like you're enjoying this at all. And, you know, I just think that's just one of those things where it's, it's another way of gambling, and it's so much easier to work for a living.
0: Yeah, absolutely yeah and and it's much you know the the heart medication and whatever you know opening boxes to try to pay I mean playing poker to make a living is hard enough let alone trying to open boxes of cards of athletes whose values and whose careers are taking turns at every you know moment of the day uh, just seems highly. Highly are you surprised by that amount of gamble that, you know, back in the day you got a case of cards if you were a dealer, you got a box of cards if you felt really lucky, but usually it was a couple packs here or there. Are you surprised by the gamble that is out there in the hobby these days?
1: Yeah, because I thought we learned our lesson in the 90s. <laughs> right. I really, yeah, I am shocked at the amount of gambling, and that's what it is, that's all it is, is gambling. And to some of these guys, probably to a lot of guys, is, is pure gambling. You you have better odds at the sports book than yeah. what you do finding <laughs> <laughs> a case of cards. You know, you're okay. You're relying upon so many factors. You're you're relying upon tops, which, from what I understand, you shouldn't be doing that anyway. Yeah. So you're relying upon tops. You're relying upon the players. You're relying upon the distributors. You're relying upon the liquidity of the cards themselves to the end user. You're just relying upon so many factors that you don't control. Just get a job. (laughs) It would be so much easier if you just got a job. Well, go to the book and just bet on the the game itself. You'd have better odds than what you do. I mean, the the odds are so not in your favor um, because... You know, production can be ramped up and down, and production is ramped up and down. Um, and it's the same thing that happened in the 90s with, you know, gold foil and refractors then. So I don't understand why we're doing it again now. It just seems, you know, it's the whole, uh, you know, the cliché of, you know, insanity is doing the same thing over and over again expecting a different result. You're just going to crash it again. Why are you doing it?
0: I, I couldn't agree with you more. So what do you think... Let, let's jump for ten more years, fifteen more years. Since we're we're literally the companies are making the same mistakes. They're making too many cards. They're making too many sets. They're, oh, you know, the, and it, it, now they're they're increasing the price point. So less and less people can afford kind of the the origins of opening packs or, or opening boxes. Um, what do you think? Where where is this hobby going to be in, in another 10, 15 years?
1: Oh well, well. I hate to, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm an observer. You know, I don't have, I don't have companies' books or anything in front of me. But uh, I think Tops is one of those. You know, we pick on Tops because they're the big player in town now. Um, I think Tops is going to be one of those. It probably already is one of those companies that's worth more as a brand than what it is as an actual business.
0: Right. Yeah. And, that's a good point. And that, the
1: name is what someone will buy, rather than the card manufacturing, mm-hmm. which they don't even make the cards. They contract out the cards. But right. I don't think a lot of people understand. So, so, so yeah. So, in ten years, um, I think there will still be a Tops, just like I think there will always be a McDonald's, and I think there will always be a Disney. Um, so, I think there will always be a Tops in some form, um, but. As far as what they're producing and at what price points, it might just become you know it might just become a game for the rich. But then again, as people have stated on your show, rich guys don't like being treated poorly, and hmm. and you might have a guy with better funds than me who uh, who finds his way into the business because he's he's ticked off and uh, he decides that he's going to compete with tops. So I think I think you might see um, if just to get out a Crystal or a Magic 8-ball, I think in 10 years you might see um, some sort of, you know, deep-pocketed, fan-led rebellion against Topps exclusivity.
0: That certainly would be interesting. It certainly would be, you know, I always, you know, baseball cards are the genre, and, and Topps has kind of a stranglehold on that. But inside the U.S. right now, I mean, nothing's hotter than NFL football. And Tops and Panini kind of have control of that. Um, so, I, you know, Tops is Tops. Reign is kind of the number one card manufacturer. Is, is is certainly there, and they've certainly been doing it the longest, and they've had quite a bit of success. Um, like you said, creating brands and brand names that are recognizable. It will be interesting to see 10, 10 years forward, you know, is Upper Deck still around? Is Panini still making cards, you know? How many ownership groups will these will these companies go through? Does does that make you any less confident buying the cards, or is that something that's just part of maybe doing business?
1: I I, I see it as kind of like, you know, I've bought a couple of Panini, you know, Prism's drafts and prospects, and, you know, I, I think they're nice and shiny and whatnot, but... um, I think that it doesn't hurt my purchasing because I don't buy for. I don't buy it as part of my investment portfolio. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't. I don't consider my card collection part of my investment portfolio. I consider my card collection. You know. I mean, heck, I keep most of my cards in an album, which I'm right. sure a lot of guys would have a heart attack with because I don't keep it. You know, in a. In a in a uh, acid free box, you know, behind layers of plastic, I keep it in an album because I like to flip through the pages and read them and see them and 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 that. So I consider myself a user. I don't consider myself an investor. Right. Um, I use the product for my own self gratification, and if there's something left over that you know my son or whoever you know comes after me likes them too, well that's cool. Well, here you go you know, dad really likes these and you can have them too. Um, or if he wants to take them on Pond stars, and, you know, Rick Harrison third wants to buy them, that's cool too. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm just, I'm not, it doesn't bother me that necessarily. Um, I think there will always be baseball cards. Uh, I just don't, I just don't think it will continue in its current form with the current price points. If, If I were a deep-pocketed guy starting my own company, I would create something along the lines of opening day, which is Tops. you know, I don't even know what Tops is trying to do with opening day, um, but they're 99-cent price point. I would I would start a card company with that, and you would get an insert every once in a great while, but they would be chase cards. Um, so I know we're kind of veering off into what would we do, but you know, that's, no, that's, that's what I would do.
0: That's great. What well, you got? Any other thoughts of what you would do? I mean, you've you've gotten the a, a long perspective on this hobby. You know, way back when you took a break and you're back. What are some things that you know? Now that you're back, what are some things that you would improve? Well,
1: it's all about the kids, and it's such a cliche. But it's not about the comic book store guy on The Simpsons, right? You know, it's it's not about it's not about the guy. You know, uh, I mean, they're subsidizing it. I get it. And you can have sets for them. But I just feel like, I feel like cops or somebody needs to focus on, 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 you know, kids gravitating towards baseball cars, And you can make kids. I mean, one of the things that you can do is stop the, the separate, the artificial separation of hobby and retail, make it all hobby. And, right. you know, so a kid. Going to Target or Walmart, you know, can go and get something cool in, in a pack, and then they slept for another couple of years because you got something cool in a pack at Walmart. You know, I, it's just this a, a million different ways that Tops or somebody could, or a competitor could could get into this into the kids or get into the schools or what have you. And just I just don't see them doing it. I I, I feel as if I, I don't. I feel as if the 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 dealers and the collectors are more interested in the longevity of the genre than the manufacturer and that to me is odd
0: absolutely yeah it almost seems like the manufacturer is only looking towards the next set or maybe the next year but you know who's looking two or 3 4 or 5 years down the line you know, if if there are no kids, if it is a two hundred dollar, if you got to make you know to spend two hundred dollars to get a box, or spend one hundred fifty dollars to get a box, or more, you know, where where are the kids going to be in, in ten, fifteen? When when you and I are ready to sell our our you know our kids don't want our cards, well, we might want to sell them. If there are no kids and nobody got you know nobody started collecting cards in the you know from here on out. We're going to have nobody to sell to. Our cards aren't going to appreciate. Our cards aren't going to. Nothing's going to happen there. Um, I, oh, my! Son's to come up for pennies on the dollar. <laughs> right? Yeah, <he> might. There <laughs> might be an opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And I just find I I couldn't agree with you more. That I find that the the people in charge of selling this these products and making these collectibles. They don't care who's, they don't care what happens in five to 10 years, you know, because they just figure they'll have some other set to come out with or they might be at another company working somewhere else. It just doesn't seem like there's any, any focus or any direction into growing sustainably, maybe getting some younger people back involved. Because as we see with you, you got into, if you never had gotten into collecting when you were young, I don't know if you would have gotten into collecting later on in your life. I mean, it just seems like it's, yeah, I don't a, know. it's a great entry way to get kids when they're young, when they're you know pre-high school. And like you said, everybody when they go to high school, you you get more involved in cars and women and video games or a job, certainly making some money. Um, but you know, you can always have, you always come back to it a little bit later in life. And if kids aren't getting exposed to it. you know, they're not going to come back in, in in 10 years. Yeah, and it's
1: just, I, and, and people who, you know, say that, you know, kids don't appreciate the history of the game or whatnot, kids appreciate the history of the game. They, they hear about it from the announcers and whatnot on the games or when they go to games. I mean, a kid can't, you go to a Giants game and a kid can't ignore it when they're walking through Willie Mays Plaza, you know, or going to McCovey Cove. Um, The history of the game is going to be there. It's just that uh, the genre may change and, I shouldn't feel as if I'm doing charitable outreach by by purchasing tops i I shouldn't <laughs> feel that way. I should not feel as if I care more about your about your legacy than you do right. and and that and that to me is is a bizarre thing it it's 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 uh, it's just bizarre and yeah. and you've been i i assume that you or your brother have been to the the industry summit in las mm-hmm. vegas i've never been um mm-hmm. uh, have you have you ever met the tops guys do they like
0: baseball cards um the tops guys <laughs> what i what i would say about tops is um a lot of the guys doing a lot of the work are younger a little bit younger right out of college first type first kind of job kind of thing for serious type full-time job i would say the problem with tops is there is no leadership there's no CEO. There's no face of the organization. Like Michael Eisner is an owner, but he's like a minority. He owns 25% of it, and it's like an investment group. So him personally owns you know, a micro percentage of uh, – for a guy of that wealth, a micro business for him. So there really is no guy – that you can put your finger on and say, he's tops. He's the CEO. He's in charge. He's the leader. He's providing direction. I think that's the main problem with the company. That's why they have gaps in customer service and they have gaps in, you know, maybe product collectability or product uh, kind of desirability. Some products are great. Some are, you know, not even worth looking at. And I think it's just a, a matter of leadership at that company. You don't have somebody there. You know cracking the whip and kind of running the ship. it's just kind of you know some a mix of twenty year old guys some guys that have been in the industry for a while and have worked for you know several different companies It's just not I just don't see leadership at tops, and I think that's the one thing that they're lacking and certainly that
1: is sad to me that is sad to me because in my business, I am a leader and and i I'm expected to do certain things and it's just I, it is sad to me that a company that is such a big part of Americana is, is rudderless, and, and it's, it's kind of pressing in a way, but you know what, I'm still, I'm still going to buy what I like, and not get caught up in the politics of it, or the next super shiny thing, it's just, it's a hobby, but it is sad to me that, you know, it's, it's kind of, it, like you said, that it is rudderless, and there's no captain at the helm, and 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 that's a that's a horrible state of affairs. But I think there'll always be baseball cards. I just think in my heart of hearts, I think there is going to be some sort of deep pocketed fan led, you know, rebellion against cops exclusivity. There's a there's a there's dozens of ways to get in. There sideways. You know, you've got all the independent leagues, you got the Mexican league, you got, you know, South America is wide open. Um, Australian baseball is is, is Know, getting bigger and bigger every season down there. I mean, granted, they're not the MLB. You know, Nothing will be the MLB, but there's lots of ways to go in sideways and impress MLB that, hey, this exclusivity thing's not working out for you guys um, because there's other companies uh, doing it right and they don't even have your players. Right. That's, what I would, that's what I would do, personally. If, if I had the, the time and backing That's what I would do is come in sideways and just, you know, here's proof of concept, Tops, and we don't even have your name players or proof of concept to the MLB or to the player association. We don't even have your names or your players, and this is how we're outperforming, Tops. How's that exclusivity
0: deal working for you? (laughs) Right. It certainly would put some pressure on that and those negotiations as they come up every year, you know. I mean, if you're a company and you're getting pushed by all these non-licensed guys, it sure would make me the second guess being, you know, like would I want to negotiate that exclusive deal at that point? Now it's like, man, I gotta pay all this money for this exclusive deal, and all these other guys are are beating me to the market and and getting more agile because they don't have maybe some of the regulations that that I would have to go through at tops. I find it, uh, you know, I think we're kind of in a. Um, a transition period, maybe for Tops. I, I, honestly believe the company that owns it or has control of the brand now would like to sell it. I think they probably would like to move on and maybe uh, get it. To, that's why they don't have. That's why they're not paying a leader a hundred thousand dollars or more a year to lead the ship is because they they don't want to they they don't want to spend that kind of money. So th- I think they certainly would like to to move that asset on at some point. Um, you know, hopefully. Hopefully soon, in my opinion, but, uh, you know, nothing ever happens too quick in this hobby.
1: Yeah, and you know what? Do they have an incentive to change when they have, you know, degenerate gamblers (laughs) (laughs) buying, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars of cases? And, and group breaks and all that nonsense. I mean, do they, they the, the the invisible hand of the free market isn't pushing them necessarily?
0: No, and that's that's exact. That's a great point. They have people buying their product. They don't have to pay a CEO or have a COO or have a CTO or have all these big C-suite guys that they got to pay six figures to each. So you can run this business with you know maybe a middle manager and a bunch of college kids. And, you know, for private equity, that might seem like a pretty sweet deal. So a part of me admires a little bit in way the tops has been kind of run very leanly and very, um, you know, not 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 like a very large business. It's not run like a really large corporation. It's run, like you said, more of like a brand that is kind of uh, spitting out cash flow because the brand is so recognizable and popular and they have an exclusive license um it's an interesting time uh to be certainly you picked a great time to get back in this hobby
1: yeah i mean yeah i i, I enjoy it and i i have a lot of fun and um i'm able to pick up what means to, what things that I mean to me. on benny something i guess because other guys want to gamble and uh <laughs> and and even the vintage stuff that i'm interested in isn't really trading that high right now i picked yeah. up at tristar i picked up a a T two hundred five Miller Huggins, you know, Reds card, and uh, and a T two hundred six John McGraw, um, you know, Giants card, and I got both of them for less than one hundred and fifty bucks, and I'm like, wow. are you kidding me? People, you know, okay, go walk over to the shiny cabinet, I guess. Right. I mean I've actually seen Miller Huggins Monument in old Yankee Stadium and I know who John McGraw is and you guys are just walking by going to
0: the shiny stuff. Right. Yeah, exactly. Are guys. you even
1: gonna know are you even gonna know who these who, who these guys are in two
0: years? No, chances uh. are chances are not. Well, Matt, we've had you on for quite a while here. You got any uh closing words for uh the collector base out there?
1: Just just have fun a hobby it's not a retirement plan it should not be part of your investment portfolio sure, sure. just have fun and if you have a toddler throw them some baseball cards because they like throwing them around and they're going to get dinged up it's part of the fun
0: right exactly exactly well matt thanks for uh thanks for coming on today i really enjoyed talking to you and thanks for having
1: me i love your show and like I said, I li- I download and listen to everyone uh, when I go work out. So please keep them coming. Oh, and have your, bro- and have, your, have your brother on again. Oh, that will we're
0: <laughs> definitely going to. My brother is making it to um, Cleveland. The National's in Cleveland, I think, uh, in a month or two. I think it's coming out. I hear a lot of people talking about the National, so it must be coming up. Um, so we'll definitely bring him on, maybe before that, uh, but certainly during the National. Um, there's always... Uh, lots of interesting things. Well, yeah, we'll bring him on and we'll we'll put the explicit uh tag on the podcast.
1: Awesome. Well, you have a you have a great uh, a great week and thank you for having me on. Thanks,
0: Matt. Thanks a lot, man.
1: All right. Bye. Bye.